How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, none other than Dr. Cody Creelman, CalVet. Cody is a beef cattle vet uh, and a practice owner of Veterinary Agri-Health Services in Alberta, Canada. Uh, but if you're a vet student or really anyone just interested in veterinary medicine, you may know Cody from his many, many video blogs, uh, aka vlogs, uh, that allow us to get a true glimpse into the life of a large animal vet. His videos take you on the road with him, and you get to see tons of awesome, cool, and sometimes awesomely graphic things that Cody gets to do on a daily basis. His vlogs are always educational and definitely entertaining to watch. Uh, so back in September, Cody released a vlog that addressed a lot of uh, stressors and challenges facing veterinary students. What Cody said really made an impact on me, and I thought how great it would be uh, to continue the conversation he started and share it with as many vet students as we could. So I'm very thrilled that Cody and I were able to get together today and do just that. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Cody. I'm, I'm thrilled you're here. How's it going with you? No, everything's great. Just coming off of Christmas break and uh, hitting 2017 hard. Good. So do you get any time off for the holidays? Yeah, I got a week off. Uh, well, almost a week off. Cool. So um, again, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your, your busy work schedule and holiday schedule to, to talk to me on the podcast. I, I got the idea to, to reach out to you because I saw your, your vlog where you uh, reached out to vet students and were kind of... Um, you know, lending your support to to knowing what they were going through and kind of touching on what you went through in vet school and, you know, kind of providing a sense of normalcy to to the, the hardships of vet school and <laughs> yeah. um, how great it is to be in vet school, but how, how much it can suck at some point. So, yeah. um, so I guess just to start off, what was your journey to vet school like and, and how was it for you and um, your experience in general? Well, it was a, a long, drawn-out journey. I wouldn't say <laughs> it was um, expedient in any light. So I guess starting right off the bat, I never thought that I was academic enough to, to get into even university, if, if mm-hmm. I'm thinking from a, a younger age. Like, I was a solid, like, CD student through elementary and junior high, and, and uh, I was really focused on my family farm and, and wasn't academic at all. Uh, when I was 13, so going into grade nine, my parents ended up getting a divorce and I, and they, when they split, I moved to a new town and just whatever the circumstances were, I guess maybe getting off the farm, less chores, you know, better home environment, stuff like that. All of a sudden I was an honor student just, just Mm -hmm. overnight. So, so I guess things started opportunities started opening up and I started thinking well maybe there's more for me than just kind of taking over the family farm and I had at the same time uh, a friend who was a neighbor she had done a volunteer work experience at a at a vet clinic and she just said Cody you would really really love doing this like just just do a volunteer work experience at, at the local clinic. I think you'd like it. So I did it and I instantly got the bug. So mm-hmm. I just had that that burning fire, that fever, that like sick stomach, you know, sick right. to your stomach feeling that like this is what I have to do. Like I just loved every part of it. So that motivated me, motivated me to, to go through, uh, continue to, to get 
decent marks in high school. Uh, graduated, went to university, just didn't explore any sort of universities. It was just the closest one. It was about six hours away from home. Mm -hmm. uh, went into residence, did my my pre-vet uh, courses, signed up for all of those and just did abysmally. Like I did so bad. Like I was like, it. I did like terrible, terrible in my first year. <laughs> Like, I don't even know, I, I wish I could get my first, I should try to get my first year transcript and post it and give everybody hope because yeah. it was horrendous. I didn't fail anything, but I was close. Like organic chemistry, I have no idea how I passed it because I have zero cons, like zero knowledge in that, in that subject at all. Right. So it was bad. It was like skin of my teeth, barely passed, like just way below average slightly above 50%, just mm -hmm. horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. And I was like, this is it. Like, there's no way. And I, I felt like I was working so hard. Right. I felt like that I really was working hard and I'm not a quitter. So year two rolls around and I have all my courses and I'm, I'm good to go and I'm, I'm going to do this thing. And it's, it's grinding along and I, I'm doing a little bit better and I feel like I'm working hard, but in looking back, I, I wasn't doing what I needed to do. And mm -hmm. a couple of things had happened. One was, uh, I got a good mark in a, in a meat science exam. It was, you know, an oral midterm. So it was terrifying as hell. Right. And, and I worked really hard because it was so scary and I was accountable to that person across from me. And, and at the other time I had a, another, um, master's student who I just overheard talking about how he studied and he was like yeah so I write out all my notes and then I reread my notes until they're like a song in my head and, and it really like made me step back and think like you make your notes into a song in your head hmm. like somebody was putting in that much work and here I thought I was working hard because I was putting in the hours but I don't know if I was really putting in the effort mm -hmm. and I was like if this is like I didn't even know that was possible and it, it's a terrible way to study when it comes to learning you know life learning right. but when it comes to getting good grades and it's you know it's kind of the only way that I had to, to be able to, to do that so I was like this person can actually memorize their notes they're putting in that much work and they're not like naturally gifted or anything. That's just mm -hmm. the work they're putting in. So I was like, this is what I need to do. And from there, that's what I did. I, I dedicated myself to memorize my notes and it translated into great marks. And, you know, second year was, I probably got just above average. And then third mm -hmm. and fourth year, I was a solid A, a plus student throughout the entire time. And yeah, wow. university got a little I guess easier in terms of the classes are are a little more tailored towards you know your interests. So I'm taking higher level animal science classes mm -hmm. and stuff like that, as opposed to entry level stats or econ or or something like that. So so that really I guess was was the two turning points for for I just have to do this, and I I was never going to quit. Um, I, I applied several times, so I applied after my, my second year, after my third year, after mm -hmm. my fourth year. Even after I was done my undergraduate, I still didn't get into vet school. Uh, I took a year off. I went and pipelined, so like actually like throwing steel pipe into the ground wow. all winter <laughs> long. And that really, uh, it, it makes you think like, is this what I want to do for, for the rest of my life? And I guess I could have used my animal science degree, but like I needed money, so I went and did that. And I, and I, I, I still wanted to apply, 
Um, so I did that winter, like from the hotel room of, I was working seven days a week, throwing pipe into the ground. I applied from the hotel room. I'm still going to do it. I ended up after that winter getting a job at a feedlot. So I was a pen checker and that really like sparked my interest in terms of, of feedlot medicine. I started to, to, to be around that kind of life. And just out of chance, I got my first interview. Like I had never even got an interview at that point. And mm -hmm. I, in that year, I didn't do any sort of upgrading. It was just whatever, however the cards fell, uh, I, I was able to get an interview that year. I walked in, you know, at, with a year of, I guess, w real life work experience under my belt, uh, knew that I had you know, this was my one chance. Like, I didn't think I had a chance after that. Mm -hmm. I was, I was literally listening to Eminem on, like on the way in, like, this is my one chance. I have to do this. Like, this is what I have to do. Like I, right. I knew it all came down to that 50 minute interview and I had to sell myself. Like I, all the cards were on the table. I've done all this work. So, so now I have to, to do it. And, um, you know, weeks and weeks went by after the after the interview, and I studied hard for the interview. Like I was reading every news article I could get my hands mm -hmm. on. I had, I think I had like fifty pages of of written questions, and I would just sit on the tractor, just like saying, like saying, asking myself a question, talking out loud. That's like my number one thing for for students who are going into their interview, is when you're like doing pre kind of interview questions, just talk out loud, just like right. actually say the questions out loud, get your mouth moving. It, you can right. answer a question internally, but so That's I was just so like different. talking. Yeah, I was just talking to myself in, in the tractor and, and I knew I put in all the work and these weeks went by and nothing. I was getting nothing. And I finally got a phone call from admissions office. Admissions said, uh, your letter is here that you get back then you got a letter whether you, you got in or you didn't. Uh, do you want it mailed or do you want to pick it up? So I picked it up. Uh, the receptionists had already opened it and uh, they had read it and they put it back in the envelope and they they looked at me when they handed it and said don't go anywhere and I went into the hall uh, my wife was there I opened the letter and I I just started bawling and one of the receptionists <laughs> walked around the corner and she gave me a big hug and it was just like I was just like pouring tears it was so crazy and that was it like that's that was my road to, to finally getting into vet school that's awesome. Shows how uh, definitely perseverance and hard work pays off. Well, that hard work's the only variable. Like, right. you you have only so much talent and and so much smarts, and and you can't really change that. Like, you you are designed the way you're designed, and the only variable is the hard work. Right. That's the only thing that you can change. So I wasn't going to be the smartest person. Uh, I wasn't going to be the most talented but I could work the hardest. I knew right. that much. Do you, did you find that your experience um, getting into vet school and, and all the work you did before vet school, did that help you in your vet school career in terms of, obviously it helped you in study habits and learning things, um, but in terms of just you know maturity and work experience and, and knowing that you can be a hard worker and that's that, that one variable, do you think that made an, a big impact in how successful you were in vet school? Yeah, like, and I think the only thing is, is that I just, 
I know I can figure it out if I put enough work in. Mm -hmm. Like, I got into vet school and it was horrendous. Like, my first year was so terrible. Like, I I was so lost, uh, like, because I had always had that goal. And, like, instantly I realized that my my goal wasn't to be a veterinarian. My goal was always to get into vet school. Like, that's just how my brain worked. It was getting, like, oh, I need, if I studied one more hour, I could get into vet school. If I do this volunteer thing, maybe I could get into vet school. Like, it was always just about, getting into vet school and and once I was in I was like oh man I didn't even think about the next second after I got into vet school and I was just like where's that that drive where's that passion where's like what is my goal but yes you're exactly right I was able to to draw on all that experience to to really know that I can figure this out like I just need to put in the time I need to put in the effort I actually need to just sit down and really think about what I need to do and then and then I should be able to figure it out change my study habits to do whatever I need to do right and you talked about in that one vlog um, that sparked this whole conversation today about you know for most of us our goal was to get into vet school and when we go when we get to vet school it's like now what so um Obviously, to find that fire again, to find that passion, it will it will come eventually. But what did you do to, or what was that new passion for you, and how did you get to it once you realized, oh, I'm in vet school, so so now what do I do? Right, and I think the end result ended up being pretty simple, but it wasn't very simple to get to that. I really had to just distill down and boil down uh, everything you know, that it was and and the things that I could actually control. There's so many variables in vet school that you can't control uh, to to kind of figure that out or flesh that out. And it was, it was just ended up being, being the best possible vet student that I could be. And it Mm -hmm. it sounds silly, but, but that's what it ended up and, and really thinking about what that means. So that doesn't necessarily, when I say who's the best vet student, you know, in your school, it's impossible to answer that, but but typically you wouldn't think of this, the absolute smartest person who, who gets the highest grades. That, that's not really the person you think of. Because then on the other hand, you're thinking, well, you know, they're not very well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Or they're not you know, super experienced here. Or they never spend any time in rounds. Or they haven't been networking. Like, there's so many different things. So I was just like, what, what are the important things for, for being a good vet student mm-hmm. and what are the, those things that I can do that. So it ended up being like, I'm going to get as good a grades as possible. So I'm going to study really hard. I'm going to change my study methods. And you know, that it was really hard for me because I was coming from the student who memorized every single line. Like I could see every page in my notebook when mm-hmm. I went into an exam to going into exams where I didn't even get through all my notes in vet school. Right. Right. It's just, ridiculous so so that was the you know one of the big things you just have to learn to accept that you can only do so much you know learning to work smarter uh learning to really really just focus when you're in class in undergrad i would be like well i'm gonna put in you know 500 hours later to to memorize this stuff so it was really a passive experience whereas in vet school it was like this is my one chance to memorize this right now in class so i don't have to do this later right (laughs) so all of those all of those different things but yeah just just becoming the best possible vet student i could be and i knew that if i did that then it would afford me opportunities once i hit the next stage of okay now i'm a vet now now it's my passion right right so what do you say to those students that are 
in the lower 50% of their class, which some schools don't rank, some obviously do. Um, we know that grades aren't everything when it comes to being a good veterinarian. Um, but I know that that can get a lot of people down. Uh, you know, having come from an undergraduate uh, experience where they were top in their class, really, really the, the academic leaders in their community to coming to vet school. And like you said uh, before, you know, being average um, or being in, in, in the lower low, low part of uh, their class rank. What do you say to them? Because I, you know, I talk to a lot of people in vet school that just get so down about it. I try to tell them it's, it's not all about the grades and that's not gonna, that's not what's gonna make you a great veterinarian. Um, right. What do you say to that? Oh, you, you have my heart rate going and my blood pressure way up. I <laughs> love, I love thinking about this and I love ranting to this mm-hmm. to vet students when I get them in my truck. And, and I guess I, I'll, we'll look at it from the terms of average. So, mm-hmm. so just because this is what I hear more of, you know, students talking about is, you know, I'm, I'm class average. Uh, t- typically, if you're the bottom of the class, they're not they're not asking, you know, that type of question. So, so this concept of average is is one I get all the time, and it just gets me so worked up mm-hmm. because, and and I get it. I was like it. I was, you know, top, I went from top to average, and then I, once I found myself, I was able to work my way back up. And I get it, that instant gratification, that, that defining your self-worth based on your grades, I totally get where all of that comes from. Mm-hmm. But we need to stop focusing on this concept of average, or at least recognize for what it is, that you're average of vet school. Like, right. that, do you know how amazing that is? Right. Like that is you are you're the average of the upper echelon in terms of academia of of the world. Like there's there's not much above that. There's not there's not like another dimension of of university or programs where where they're just like that much higher. Like this is this is the top of the top. Right. And you're at and you're worried that you're average of the top of the top like it it's absolutely ridiculous. Like you're not average of your high school. You're not average of, of the global population. You are average of the, the cream. Right. Like that is, that is like mind blowingly amazing. Like you, you can't get better than that. It's just, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. So to get over that. Yeah. Cause I, I found that I, I have fallen into that boat too. Cause I, like you, I was not a strong student in high school, undergraduate. I actually, um, this is a second career for me. I'm I'm a bit older. I was uh, in the music industry for uh, four and a half years after college, and and kind of had a, a a light bulb go off that vet med was the perfect place for me. I make a long story short. I I was uh, my goal was to go to med school when I was an undergrad, but didn't have the that drive or the perseverance when I was 18 to do that. So. Um, it kind of took me a, a bit of a, a weird journey to get here, but uh, never second-guessed my decision to go to vet school. Anyways, um, now that I'm in vet school and really found something I love, um, and I've learned how to study, I've learned how to work smarter, um, I'm getting the best grades I've ever gotten, um, which is interesting to me because it's it's the hardest uh, material I've ever had to learn. Uh, but as I've been going through vet school and getting better grades, you know, when I get a, a, a C even, um, let alone a D or, you know, which happens from time to time, I get really hard on myself. Whereas when I first started vet school, it was like, I'm here, as long as I pass, I'm good. So it's kind of that interesting psychological game that I've found is that once you start to do better, your obviously your standards get better for yourself, 
So when you don't succeed at what has become your new normal, it just that that imposter syndrome takes over and you get so right. down on yourself. So so yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear what you what you talked about. Um and maybe a little of it is is tough love, but like my practice has this this reputation of being really hard markers. Like I'm mm-hmm. part of a distributed teaching hospital. I have students coming through all the time, and and the way that their marking system is set up is is like it actually uses the word average. Like was this student meet the expectations of a average veterinary student? Mm-hmm. And in, in my mind, that's a great mark. Like that's. Like right. your average of a veterinary student, that's amazing. Like, good job, guys. And we're always deemed like really hard markers in our practice because of that. And, and we didn't set up the scoring system, but maybe it's just a, this perception of average. Like, it is like you are amazing to be in this position. Like, you actually are, and we need to start telling ourselves that. And right. I totally get the psychology, and it's a reprogramming and everything like that. But like, if a student tells me they're they're an average vet student, like. That that is so spectacular. Like you actually did it. Like I I know all the hard work that went into getting to that point, and like you're doing awesome, guy. You're doing awesome. Right. right. Would you say the same thing for uh, the people that are, let's say, the lower quarter of their class too? Yeah, absolutely. Like they're they're doing they're doing everything they can. And if they're in the lower their lower class, there are probably some things they need to figure out. But some of them they probably like you'd be surprised some of them may even have it figured out and recognize and be have higher self-worth and 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 happiness because they know exactly what they want in life and and they're they found that work-life balance and they know that they're not going to to become a you know a mixed animal vet or small animal Mm -hmm. vet and they're just focusing really hard on swine medicine and and they're getting really great grades there and they're networking and they've got all these potential job prospects and and they're spending a lot of time in rounds and they're they're just having a good time and and like they, a lot of them may have it more figured out than somebody who's who's on the the higher right. end of things. Right. And if and if that's not the case, then sure, there's there's all types of things that you can do in terms of resources, uh, really leveraging the the veterinary community to try to you know figure out a solution that works best for you. I loved in that video that I posted uh, how much of a community kind of started. Re- revolving around that concept of like how how do i study better and, and people giving suggestions and stuff like that and one of the biggest things was support right. uh, one of the biggest lessons that came out of that comment section is is people saying like i was floundering until i found like my my people right you know they found that core group of people that they could rely on and, and that made all the world a difference in in their vet school career and i was always a lone wolf from that perspective like I, I was always by myself uh, so I never did rely on that but but for a lot of people it's very very important for sure right and, and I and I found too that um, not only listening to your video but my own experience in vet school is that it's okay to reach out for support when you need it uh, I think when you when your pride gets in the way which of course is a uh, very natural thing um, that it can really get you into a heap of trouble. So, um, you know, we've lost a few students in my class in my first year um, due to grades and things like that. And and I just felt so bad because no one really knew that they were struggling. Um, mm-hmm. Had we known, the the natural community of of the vet school class would have stepped in and 
done everything that we could have to help them. So I really try to stress that with, with definitely the younger vet students and prospective vet students that it's totally fine to reach out for um, re- yeah. uh, assistance and resources and just to confide in people and, and don't let your pride get in the way. So, um, you know, I think that's another big challenge that vet students in general um, encounter with just being afraid to ask for help because maybe they haven't had to do that in the past. Right. And it it's one thing in vet school, but when you're in practice, you have to ask for help. Right. Like there's, there's no, there's no way that any veterinarian can do anything alone. Right. It, you, you just have have to have it. It's a necessary skill to, to ask for that. Right. Um, so uh, talking more about imposter syndrome. So for those that are listening, essentially what a imposter syndrome is, is, you know, having some part of your your psyche say you're not good enough you've not done well enough um, you're not worthy Um, we know that this happens a lot in vet school um, and maybe in 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 veterinary profession too i i don't know but uh, it's a big topic of conversation um, in vet school Um, so did you ever experience that when you were in vet school Uh, and if so uh, how did you overcome it um, and any tips for for us current vet students that are encountering the same thing? Oh my goodness, I've 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 probably spent all of vet school and my first three years in practice being like, when when's everybody gonna figure me out? Right. <laughs> like, oh, it, it's yeah, it is pretty crazy uh, a feeling walking around the vet school, which I like always equated to, to Hogwarts. Like I (laughs) felt like I got my letter and it's just the school of wizards and they're going to find out that I'm this muggle and I I don't have the superpowers and I'm just faking it. And they made a mistake. And I totally, totally get that. I would say in vet school, it, it definitely, it, it alleviates as your, not, it's not so much your peers, but but your professors really start to accept you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that as I got very very, I would say there there would be very few people in in my class or kind of my my sphere that that I knew uh, that really got to know a lot of the professors as well as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spending extra time just. Every lunch, every day after school, every morning in rounds, I, I really developed these relationships. And I think once you started uh, getting validation from them in, in more of a personal level and not that kind of arm's length, okay, you did good on a test or good on assignment or good mm-hmm. job for asking a good question in class, like really getting to know them. And, and what happens is, is they start accepting you as colleagues. Right. And then you realize that, like, if this person who's doing the thing that I think that I'm, I'm an imposter, uh, if, if they're accepting me into that community because I am walking the walk and talking the talk and, and, and becoming part of that community, then it really starts to alleviate for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, you, you feel like you're part of that community. So my, my I guess, advice would be, to do as much networking as possible. And there's so, I'm huge on networking for sure. And there's so many positives to mm-hmm. that. And we can talk about that in a bit, but, but that's one of the, 
one of the benefits is is once you get that sort of validation on a one-on-one level with your colleagues and, and with your professors and really feel like you're part of that uh, the imposter syndrome seems to, to wane after a while right so and then talking more about the imposter syndrome once you um, were out in practice because that's actually one of the biggest fears for me um, now that you know I'm in the second part of my second year so I have a, a bit of a ways to go but I really am afraid, to be honest, that once I get out of vet school and I'm a practicing veterinarian, that I'm not going to be prepared to be a veterinarian because we are being taught so many things so quickly. Um, and while we can get good grades on exams you know, as they come up, um, what I'm realizing is that since we're just being flooded with information, the things that I learned in my first year, let's say um, anatomy, you know, I've forgotten a lot of things. I know that you know once I need to use it again, I'll go review it for a few hours and it'll come back just kind of like riding a bike. But um, what was your experience, you know, once you were out, did you find that, you know, you were prepared or were you kind of like, no, I don't know what's going on. I got to go learn this stuff again. Um, so, so, you know, what do you say to that, that for those of us that are afraid that we're not gonna remember anything <laughs> once we, uh, we put on that cap and gown and, and be done with vet school? Yeah, I, and I, I lived it. I had a very positive experience. Uh, a lot of that was through mentorship. So mm-hmm. I had a great experience with mentorship. Uh, I had a great support system and great team. And I also had great clients as well. So I had this, this loving community that accepted me with open arms. But every single call that I went to, it was that self-doubt of like, am I, am I actually going to be able to do this? Like mm-hmm. driving out to my first uterine prolapse. Right. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, am I... Cause because you don't you don't know if you're actually going to be able to do it. Like you know all the theory, you know you know what to do, but you don't know if you're actually going to be able right, to do it. Right. So same thing for like calving, C sections for me, calls to to, to sick cases. Um, every every time you show up, you're just like you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, am I actually going to be able to figure this out? And it's just a numbers game. It's just getting that experience. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you're driving out to your 112th uterine prolapse, right. you, you don't even think twice because guess what? The, you got the last 111 in. Uh, so you probably shouldn't be too worried about the, the 112th. Uh, but all of that self-confidence and support, like I, some of it I did falter and I did mm-hmm. fail and and I did have that that support network and and that mentorship from from really great practice owners when I came in. So I think without that you're in trouble. But as long as you have that great mentorship that you can rely on, you don't need to worry about the prep work that you've done and and forgetting things like all of that's natural. It's completely expected. Uh, it's being able to finish the case because you have support behind you you know, when you need it, right. It's going to happen. You just, you're going to finish it. It's just the outcome is dependent on when you can get other people to step in to, to give you a hand, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a quick consult, um, whether it's somebody that's stepping in and taking over. So you learn for next time. Right. That's what's Um, most And you bring up another good point or a good segue, um, about mentorship. And and I, I do want to tie in the whole networking concept as well. Why is networking so important? And, and, that may lead into kind of conversation about mentorship and how important that is as well. So um, why why do you feel networking is important and, and how do we do it as vet students at this point in the game? 
Yeah, so I was at this other rant for vet students where I, I kind of make fun of resumes. So I always say social media is more important than resumes. And it's not so much social media because I don't really like that term, but, but social media to me is just networking. It's just mm-hmm. creating this, this vast network. And it's way more important in resumes, and I'll use my externships, for example. So I get a huge ton of externship requests mm-hmm. all the time. Um, from, from vet students worldwide. And the easiest way to get an externship with me is that you've sent me six snaps over the past six months right. and you've maybe emailed me, you know, without just this request for an externship. Uh, and you've retweeted me a couple times and you've left a couple comments on, on my Facebook. And I, I read all the comments, I interact with people. Right. So now that name is familiar that that this student you know has taken interest in the practice there's a familiarity it does not matter what's on their resume at all if they've had some sort of concept or networking as long as they have a background you know that's conducive to helping our practice and and they have a dvm that's really all that matters to me right what I care about is personality. I always say I can teach anybody to be a Calvet, but I can't teach personality. And what networking does is it just showcases your personality, that you're just a good dude that, that can get along with people and that you're friendly and that you're, you're not you know, awkward and you're going to be a good fit into that practice. Right. So that's what networking does. And it could be so many different things. The, the reason that I love social media is you can do it at scale. Mm-hmm. You can with a little bit of effort, like an hour a day, and I know that's hard, but that's an hour carved out of, you're waiting for your car to warm up, you're you know, on the can, you're waiting for something to, to happen, you're waiting for your tea to, to microwave, you have two minutes and you can send a tweet to somebody or, or do an Instagram post or make, leave a comment or anything like that. But that like focused networking, it's something that you can scale using technology. Going to conferences, wonderful. Asking, you know, every weekend in the summertime to go to a different practice, mm-hmm. really spreading yourself out, wonderful. Like as as much as possible in terms of networking and creating this this context, this depth of context with as many veterinarians, vet techs, practice managers as possible. Uh, is going to give you this extreme leg up. Even what you're doing right now, I love this. That that you've taken the time to create this podcast, you've now created this depth of a relationship and this context with me, that now I know your face, I know your background because I listened to every podcast before I came on, I looked you up on Facebook, I you know, Googled your, your radio station days, uh, all of this stuff, like now I have this context and if, if you just sent me a resume, I wouldn't know you right. at all. Uh, so. I don't know if you would be interested in cattle medicine, but that, that doesn't matter. If, if you had wanted an externship, you are exponentially more likely to get one with me now. And there's another student that I always, uh, I always kind of use this analogy. His name is Jeremy Shaba. He's a, he's a vet from Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, but he's practicing down in Kentucky. And he created a blog for himself of his journey to finding uh, the perfect job, the perfect externship, uh, the perfect internship, and what he was going to do with his life once he was out of vet school. And all he did was interview people at different vet clinics. He just set up hangouts or set up a, a Skype interview. Mm-hmm. He would interview them and, about their experience at, say, like uh, Root and Riddle. He would, he would talk to somebody who did an externship at Root and Riddle mm-hmm. and what their experience was like. 
and that person was working at Root and, Lid Root and Riddle, and now there was context because everybody's talking in the staff room that this guy did this interview with me, and his name was Jeremy, and uh, then his name comes up, you know, a couple other times amongst the partners, and then he sends in a resume. Like, there's just all all these types of things that you can do to create this context. Right. That's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely you you hit a nerve with me because I think that. Social media. I never really kind of thought about social media as networking. Um, it's all it is, right? I don't and, like. I never go on social media in terms of escapism or 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 you know just checking out or personally. I'm networking the crap out right. of it. And I, yeah, I, I guess I knew it. I just didn't really realize it because all social networking is is, or so, social media is is um, you know sharing experiences, and making connections with, connections with people, and that's really all networking is too. So um, that's fascinating. But so l let me play devil's advocate with you on the social media topic. Um, for some of us, a lot of the, the veterinarians that we're trying to connect with maybe in the older generation, they may not, or even if they're uh, um, a younger generation veterinarian, they may not be apt to, to the social media scene yet, or that's just not their thing. Um, Obviously, we can still network in the the old fashioned way with big air quotes around it. But um, you know, how do you how do you address that with people that don't use social media in terms of networking, in terms of building a brand for yourself? Yeah. So I feel like well, I guess that's two different parts. So so a I feel like it's a little you would be surprised in terms of the crusty old cow vets that are actually on Facebook mm -hmm. and Instagram. Right. Like they are there and they're watching. They're not typically participating, but they know what's up. Right. So there, I think that that's changing very, very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And they may not be as active as you or I, but they are there. So, so I think that's, to me at this point it's a non-issue like there's very few veterinarians that i come across that don't have a facebook mm -hmm. account that that you could connect with and it may be you know hidden it may be really hard to find but there's more to more than just that veterinarian that you that you're trying to to network with it, it's the practice in general they may not be active facebook users but they would have a, a Facebook page on, on their, their practice that you could start connecting with. Uh, you could find out who's behind that account, connect with them. Uh, it might maybe be a technician, it may be a practice manager, it may be the owner. Right. Like you just, just because it, you, it's not XYZ vet, uh, doesn't mean that you can't you know, connect with that practice to, to somehow leverage it to, to whatever you need to do. You find out that it's so-and-so tech that you've jabbed back and forth with, uh, and you ask like, hey, now I'm really interested in an externship or, or ride along, like who should I contact? Is, is the, the owner of the practice, is he on Facebook? And, and you, know, you just have to put in the work for sure. So branding, um, you know, what, what can you do as a, as a vet student to really stand out? The number one thing is just to interact, mm -hmm. like just to have conversations, ask questions like that. To me, those are always the students that stand out. Those like students that are genuine, like, I don't care if they've, you know, when you think about personal branding that they've, you know, got 20,000 Instagram followers and they're, you know, doing, doing their own vet school vlog and, and stuff like that. Like that's that's to the extreme it, it could help if you had the time for sure right uh and but you'd have to be actively targeting the right demographic interacting is is king like just asking questions bringing up topics providing value like 
if there's something that was posted on a, a Facebook site of a practice that you've been eyeing up that you want to go work, offer to write a little uh, blog post for them, mm -hmm. like provide value to them. Say like, hey, I, I saw you guys uh, have been posting about this and this topic. Like, can I just write a couple articles for you and, and you guys can post them? I don't care if you put my name, like I just want to help you guys out because mm -hmm. I really like your practice. Like, Do something like that. Do you know how far that would take you? Right. Like it was like that. There's there's not very many people doing it, but it it works like it absolutely works right cool um one more social media question just uh, that i thought i'd ask you because it's been on my mind for the past several months is about twitter and the value of twitter kind of going forward and where it, where it's been recently um because obviously i know you and i both use twitter a bit um and i personally am not sure how in in, in relation to the other big uh, social media players, Facebook, Instagram, um, Snapchat, how much ROI is there in terms of Twitter world? Right. What have you experienced with that? And, and I've, I've done some research, you know, trying to find trends and, you know, keeping an eye on their stock and seeing what their influence is in the world. But I just don't know what it's like, in, at least in vet med, let alone in general. So... Right. So there is, there's definitely this amazing community that, that is out there in terms of veterinarians that are on Twitter. I have made, like I've made friends, like lifelong friends based off of relationships on Twitter. What I would do with Twitter is I wouldn't put a ton of effort into, you know, creating amazing Twitter con content, mm -hmm. like the, the really smart quotes, uh, the really smart things, the, the, the content creation, but Twitter is still one of the most amazing things in terms of interacting with people and, and Twitter search, like twitter.com slash search mm -hmm. for finding veterinarians that are out there because that is an extremely powerful tool to type in veterinarian and your town, uh, whatever your practice interest is, and seeing who's on there and start seeing what they're interested mm -hmm. in and then having conversations based around that. Right. Like You don't have to do this huge content creation based on it. You just have to use it strategically in terms of interaction. Right. And you're a lot like more likely to get through somebody who has 56 followers on Twitter, is moderately active, and you send them uh, a direct message as opposed to an email right. uh, saying like hey we've had this conversation back and forth a couple times about the Cubs because I'm also a fan and now now I'm having this conversation with you about the potential for a weekend ride along right like that that's how you should be using Twitter right. to, to identify and target those people that that you want to have some sort of network or relationship with find out what they're interested in and, and having conversations based around that to create that depth of context. Right. Cool. That's great information. So I want to shift gears away from vet school and kind of talk about your your career as a cow vet, um, as a vlogger, and you know how much influence sure. that you've um, been able to provide for for students, for clients, for veterinarians, and and beyond. So how did you come to the idea? Uh, or how did you come to implement this this vlogging concept? And did you know that it was going to take off as it has? Um, so I'll, I'll split it down. So the two, so the two parts. Uh, how did it come to fruition? Uh, how did I start vlogging? So when I entered this practice, we didn't even have a website. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I have been, I guess, progressively increasing our 
our marketing strategy uh, within Vetegger Health. So we got a website and then through there, you know, started a Twitter account, Instagram account. I, had, I knew nothing. I'm not techie at all. I'm not, I did not come from a social media background. Like I didn't have a smartphone until I started practicing. And my first year and a half in practice was a Blackberry. So that doesn't even count. <laughs> so, you know, I've been learning as, as I've been going, but it, it's, I guess it clicked early with me in 2012 that, that there is uh, this huge potential in terms of, of networking and that the world is literally at your fingertips in terms of mobile technology and what are the ways that I can do to leverage that. And, and getting to the vlog was just a, a progression of, of me you know, learning about Twitter and putting myself out there in terms of, of having conversations with people. And then uh, Instagram, it, I guess, was a little bit of evolution in terms of learning about you know, capturing people's interests. Mm. And then I moved into the, the video format. So, so Vine became popular at the time. I, I started learning about Vine, this seven second looping video app, uh, l- learning about you know, what it's like to, to put a camera pointed towards my face right. and talk and hear my own voice and see my own face and, and try, to, try to say something funny or say something smart. So, and then from there it evolved into Snapchat. So then I had you know a 10 second window to talk. I was having more conversations. I started just snapping my story as I'm driving you know down the road or I see a call, anything like that, uh, or see this case, uh, what I'm seeing in the postmortem pit. So that's where I started to get more and more comfortable. But I also wanted to, I guess, really get this, achieve this thing. So what I wanted was, I was always fascinated by my wife loves beauty bloggers like YouTube beauty Mm -hmm. bloggers and she would always talk about them as if they were friends like she would like bring up in conversation oh uh, Tiffany D got this today or her dog sick today like she's talking about them with this this context and this this depth of relationship and I always was wondering like how could I create that in terms of the veterinary industry because that's that's like marketing gold right? right that that somebody's invested into your life story and 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 you have that depth of context so I was like what does that look like does that look like I sit down in front of a camera like this and 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 just talk about you know a topic a day is it a product review is it case reviews it, like is it a questions and answers show like what what is it and I just I, I guess I was playing around a little bit with YouTube and I'd have these like voiceover videos and that just didn't feel right and and it just slowly I guess a year and a half ago started clicking that like the vlog is something that I don't have to be it, it's non-constraining like I can it can be whatever I want it to be. It can be questions and answers. It can be case reviews. Mm-hmm. It can be just me ranting about you know my experience in vet school. It can be anything I want. And that's where I really love that. And then it also just coincided with, I guess, me just getting more and more comfortable with, with things like Snapchat and, and talking into a camera right. and recognizing that I at least had some sort of skill set that that I could leverage as well that I it was a comfortable means of communication for me I I hate like written form like I hate blogging uh, stuff like that it's just not efficient for me I would rather just turn on a camera and talk for three minutes and turn it off Mm -hmm. so that was that was kind of the evolution that I like realized what vlogging was that it could be so dynamic it could be anything that I wanted it to be for the day and I could just go from there and run with it so now I'm at uh I guess just a little over a year of, of putting out vlogs. Right. 
do you find that, because um, I know you post on, on YouTube and Facebook, obviously, um, do you find that you get better viewership on one or the other? I know that their analytics are a bit different in terms of who's watching, how many are watching, and so forth. So we may be talking apples and oranges here, but what do you find is the best uh, medium for you there? Yeah, in terms of views, it, it definitely is different. Uh, I guess you could boil it down to subscribers or page likes, mm-hmm. right? So, so that could be the, the quantifier there. Uh, Facebook has been way easier to grow uh, in terms of being able to leverage you know, my friend network at first, uh, and it's just way more findable. Uh, YouTube is very hard to crack into. It's a slow, it's a very slow exponential uh, growth curve right. uh, with YouTube. You, you start small, the algorithm is very constraining mm-hmm. when you have small subscriptions you don't make it to the you know recommended videos uh, very frequently mm-hmm. it's not very closely linked to you know a friend network or, or a group on who's liking what so it, the YouTube has been very 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 hard to grow uh, but still very successful like you know over 2,500 subscribers uh, I get close to a thousand views per video on YouTube wow. so I'm, I'm very happy with that but uh, Facebook is has been a beast uh, in terms of, you know, video is king on Facebook right, right now. You know, every other post is is something video related. Uh, so that just co- also coincided with, with uh, you know, my starting blogging. I, I think originally uh, I had expected myself to put more things on YouTube, but that wasn't the case. Right. Uh, you know, Facebook just took off for sure. Cool. Cool. So I also, um, I pulled all of my classmates because they're all... <laughs> Big fans of yours, and uh, I asked them if they had any questions for you. Um, so, on the topic <laughs> of um, vlogging and being out in the field and being a cow vet, do you ever um, run into complications with getting permission from your clients to videotape your work on the farm? Right. Yeah, I absolutely have clients that do not want me to film, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a new client, I always ask, "Can I film?" Uh, this is a, this is a progression of of years and years before I even got to vlogging. R- remember, mm-hmm. you know, these are I've practiced. I've only practiced in this practice, so I have a high level of trust from my clientele. And you know, I started taking pictures of things and saying, "Like, can I post this to Instagram?" And then it was. It was Snapchat. Can I take a video of this? And and then it turned into the vlogging. And if my, that's what's probably surprised me the most out of anything is how supportive my clientele mm-hmm. has been in terms of picking like do, I'm doing something and they pick up my camera and start recording without any sort of me asking or prompting or running to my truck and grabbing a camera because I've gotten myself in this situation that that they want to capture as well. And and they've become the 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 biggest fans of of the vlogs mm. for sure um and they've also you know i've i've gotten phone calls in the mornings from farmers that, that have said like oh i just wanted to call to say that i really really love uh the last video that was so amazing i had no idea that like that was an option or a treatment option mm-hmm. like the the clientele has been extremely extremely supportive so yes there's always clients that that don't want you to to film every you know every second that you're there and that's fine and i totally respect respect that and in some cases it, it's refreshing because i'm like okay i don't have to worry about vlogging at this place today right. uh so so that's fine like i i totally respect that so you know in terms of formalities like i don't have any sort of paperwork it's just like do you mind if i film this and post this right uh and i have a small client base they know exactly what's up so there's no secrets it's it's just 
they're out everything's out there if if it's something that is filmed prior um and it goes bad and they don't want me to share it. I, I've never had that case, but I always give them the option. Uh, with vet students, when I get a new vet student in the truck, I say, hey, I don't know if you know, but I make these videos that I post on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, you can be part of them if you'd like. If you would not like to, then that's fine. Right. Just let me know. Uh, all, most of them have seen the vlog and they're more than happy to be part of that story and and, and that's fine. And uh, But yeah, it, it hasn't been an issue because it's just been this this progression you know throughout the years using different you know social media tools if i flew into just any old practice uh you know i'd probably get a lot of resistance if somebody didn't know me or trust me but they trust me like they trust that i'm going to tell their story appropriately do you ever find that uh, due to the graphic nature of the content you uh have any pushback from the powers that be at facebook and 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 the different no never really i've never i've never had a, a video get flagged as graphic content which shocks right. me right because i would have thought you'd, you'd, it'd be you'd be getting hammered with that i mean we nope. i love that stuff you know that's it gets me going so um but i know that uh if someone was just to happen to stumble upon your your page not knowing what they were getting themselves into that could be a little bit alarming so um that's yep. interesting you know i've i've I guess I pride myself on telling the story the way it is in terms of how we raise um, agriculture animals right. and what veterinary medicine is. I typically try not to have an opener that's that's overly graphic in terms of you know the first ten seconds of the vlog, so it's not bam in your face. Uh, I always get comments all the time typically from instagram where there is you know gross pictures popping up uh people are like oh you ruined my supper you right. ruined my breakfast and and it, but it's always very good natured i get very few um i i get very very few negative mm-hmm. comments you know overall on on any of my social media platforms in terms of anything that's d- gross or disturbing or anything like that like i i try really hard in my edits to to for it not to be, you know, overtly disgusting uh, that it's, and, and to some people it is, but th- this is my life. Like, this is like a GoPro strapped on my head doing postmortems. Like, this is what I'm doing. Right. And, and if that's not right, uh, then somebody can debate me on that. And if they're right, then they're right. right. Uh, but this is life. This is my job. Like, this is my day to day. So to me, I don't, I don't view it as graphic. Like, it's just, this is the way that it is. And by the way, I love that you have your son out there sometimes because and seeing him, seeing him get into <laughs> it, and, uh, no, that's it's just great. Um, yeah, I, I always say he's going to be the world's best cow vet or a serial killer because these <laughs> you've given him the, you've given him the right tools to do both. Dead cows. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so last question for you, um, and a bit of a uh, you could say it's a deeper question, but but maybe. Could you give some quick words of advice for the 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 young vet student and the soon to be or recent graduate? Ooh, that's a that's a good one. Well, once again, that that f- making sure that that you're actually doing something that makes you happy, like really doing a consistent self audit all the time on yourself. Like, is there anything else that I could be doing that, that I could be happier because life is way too short. And we see this, this systemic, you know, depression that's, that's running rampant through, through the veterinary culture. And a lot of that is just people that are doing things that they don't want to do. Like 
this is an amazing time and there's so many opportunities out there like stop doing stuff that you don't want to do like there's of course there's always practicalities and you need to do you know certain things to feed your family and, and all those types of things but like if you really want to do something and you're unhappy then then you need to change it up like there's there is those opportunities so just do that self audit, audit and making sure like is this the place that i actually want to be and if you're unhappy with that and it's making you miserable and it's affecting your family life then then change right. like it, i know it's scary but there's there's so many things that you could be doing otherwise and maybe it's not changing practices but maybe it's it's something like uh what i'm doing in terms of vlogging like telling your story maybe you get that sort of satisfaction or or helping others like there's just you need to recognize when you're not happy and 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 do something uh that's going to to give you that sort of satisfaction like i've never woke up a single morning in in my entire practice career where i did not want to run to work right. like i absolutely love what i do um and you need to you need to find that in it and it is hard but uh, to get stuck in that trap in terms of of what's going on with with the veterinary culture and and people being so you know burnt out in terms of of the practices that they're at and the clientele like maybe if if you have a really hard time with with that you know whatever you want to call it compassion fatigue or 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 what have you like maybe you're not in the right place like maybe there is a practice that's going to support you better or something else that you can be doing uh but we need to like really i guess improve our our self awareness and and really think about who who we each individually are and, and are we doing exactly what we want to be right. doing that's great great words of wisdom Okay, so to wrap it up, I have three rapid-fire questions for you, okay? Okay. Favorite color? Uh, green. If you were not a cow vet, what would you be? Oh, farmer. Okay. And if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Oh, probably um, the tardigrade. What's that? Uh, the water bear. Ah, yes. It, it, it's microscopic. Well, you can... It's very small. It's about the size of a point of a pen. It can live in space. I've seen Did you that. Know that. Yeah, they're yeah, and they're pretty cute too. The, they are pretty cute. So it, it basically an indestructible animal that can live in space. They can get dehydrated and rehydrated. Can live in all sort of extreme temperatures. Seems pretty good, right? Yeah, it's like being a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Cody, for, for taking your time. This was no, thank fantastic. You. Um, so now it's back to work. So um, <laughs> Yes, it is. Cool. Well, um, no, again, thank you so much. I know this is going to be a, a huge resource for vet students and prospective, and, and prospective vet students and maybe even hopefully um, current veterinarians as well. So, so thank you again so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. No problem. Once more, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Dr. Cody Creelman Calvet for taking the time to have this great conversation about his experiences in vet school and sharing great words of wisdom for all of us in vet school or even thinking about going to vet school. I hope you had as much fun listening as I did talking with Cody. And thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. 
Uh, if you would feel so inclined, I would love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or Instagram. Um, or email me at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com with any suggestions or topics that you'd like to hear us talk about. Please even reach out to me if you'd like to be on the podcast and share some insight of your own. So thank you once again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. Dissecting the DVM.